0: Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Mark introduces you to some of the world's leading creative talent from publishing, film, music, restaurants, medical research, and more. You'll discover how to tap into your most original thinking, how to organize your ideas, and most of all, how to make the connections and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking Your World of Creativity.
1: Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. I'm Mark Stenson, and I'm so glad today to be traveling to New York and talking to my friend, Shelly Forrester.
2: Thanks, Mark. Great to be speaking with you. Would rather do it in a coffee shop, but OK, here we are.
1: There you go. Well, the coffee shop travels will be very soon. We'll be back. As Shelley is a market research professional brand strategist. She and I have traveled in many of the same circles over the years and probably have been in many of the same market research facilities, looking at the same conference rooms and the front and the back of the one-way mirror. So I thought today, Shelley, we'd talk about the state of the market research business, of course, post and pre and during pandemic, but also, you know, the creative process and translating those insights into real actionable brand strategies and networking and even how we got together.
2: Lovely. Okay.
1: Well, in fact, why don't we start there? You wrote a blog not long ago about the benefits of just taking the phone call. You know, and now we screen the calls, we look at the number, we don't recognize it. So we let it go to voicemail, but there's a benefit to taking the call. What do you think that benefit is?
2: So first, let me say, when I say, take the call, I do not mean pick up the phone when it's a spam (laughs) risk or, you know, it's an unrecognized number. We're always sorry when we do that. So that's not what I'm talking about. It's really a scheduled call where you meet somebody, somebody hands you a business card or LinkedIn or something, and somebody invites the other person to the call. This is a generalization, but extroverts have an easier time with those calls because extroverts just talk a lot, right? So they don't even care what the subject is. They'll just keep talking. Where an introvert wants to know, well, what do you want to talk about? And what I found is after, I don't know, 30 seconds, two minutes, it doesn't matter who you are, the conversation is going. You can't believe how much fun it is how much you're learning and how great you feel at the end of it. I, I totally so agree. I, I've i really never spoken to anybody who said, oh, I'm sorry, I took that call or I didn't get anything out of it. We always get something out of it. So that I, yes, definitely take the call. And yes, that is how we met through that blog post. Exactly.
1: Because I said, well, if, if somebody is going to write that says, take the call, I guess I should call. And uh, <laughs> we you. we we hoped it would have been a live coffee, but the virtual coffee was fun nonetheless. It was. Let's pick up then on the topic of market research, consumer insights, uh, customer insights of all kinds, consumers, professionals. Where do you see the sort of where we are back in market research? We still have this need to connect with our customers, listen, you know, gain insights. What do you think the state of the state is?
2: So. You know, I don't really think that that much has changed. You know, we always use the telephone. So maybe we're doing more telephone calls than in person, and maybe we're doing more Zoom calls and less in home. But the process, the objective, the insight that's required is still very much the same. And I, I wrote another post. I don't know if you saw it, but I'm all about being outside, doing research outside, having lunch with my clients outside. So this in person is definitely coming back, albeit more slowly and more local than global to begin with.
1: And do you find that people are more comfortable than ever with this medium, with this channel of communication?
2: Yes. You know, and it's not because they're doing a whole lot of market research. It's because they're talking to their kids and their grandchildren and they're having virtual happy hours. And so they're very used to it now. And somebody said, I don't know who it was, said that we've all become digital natives. And, you know, I'm going to say, Five years ago, you know, people would say, you can't get a 74-year-old man to do a Zoom call. Well, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And they know how to share screens. and they know, So it's very comfortable for everybody now.
1: And even groups. You know, I, I think you mentioned virtual happy hours and such. I think people are more comfortable in a group setting maybe more than ever.
2: You know, I don't do that many virtual focus groups, you know, because you need fewer people Um, you you get less time, and there's less of a dynamic. So, and I used to do a lot of in-home work and in-store work. And my clients love that they don't have to travel now and can be in somebody's home because I'm not shy about saying, oh, could you show us? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, off you go and they show you. (laughs) Into
1: your uh, kitchen.
2: Exactly. Tell me how
1: that works. Yeah. Well, I think that raises the question then, where market research fits. And especially that I guess, personal one-to-one interviews, the focus group interviews, a lot of people say, well, why do market research when you can just look at the clicks and look at the data and do an online poll? Where where do you see still the benefit of getting the conversation live with the person?
2: I call it the in front of and behind the data. So sometimes, I mean, we definitely have to do quantitative research, right? And we have to talk to a number of people to find out the size of the prize. But first we have to find out what is the prize. So before we go off and ask a thousand people questions, we wanna make sure we're asking them the right questions and we're not identifying the best of five bad ideas. Mm -hmm. So that's the first part. And then a lot of what qualitative researchers do is at the back end. So, okay, now we have all this data but we don't really understand who are these people and why do they think that way? And how did they come to that? And how are we going to change their opinion and where are we going to find them and how are we going to communicate with them so there's a role still for all of this and you know i i scratch my i've been scratching my head a lot in the last 15 months because there's been this debate about is there still value in talking to people in person what of course there is and just put market research down for a second everybody eventually has to talk to somebody in person Mm -hmm. to find out who they are do they really look like their picture what kind of energy do they have so in person is never going to go away and um you know a lot of us are clamoring to do it and i don't just mean market research people i mean everybody in the world
1: yeah is looking forward to seeing the person in action I guess yes. that's what you were describing in the home and in the store so that you actually observe the behavior instead of just asking somebody, what is your behavior?
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, and if we're talking, as I said, you know, if we're talking about it, if somebody is in the store and we're like doing a call or whatever, you can ask them to show you. But that really is part of the value of the in-person is the seeing.
1: And when you when we talk about observing, I guess I also this big capital L listening. You know, we're not just hearing and writing down the notes. We're, we're truly listening. What is the skill that you've had to develop to really help yourself, but also help clients listen to what the customers is saying?
2: I'll answer the question for me first, and then I'll talk about my clients. So I'm an introvert and I love to talk and engage. So one of the things I really had to control myself on is me. Like, it's not about me. It's not about what I think. I was gonna stop for a second and tell you an aside, but I won't. Um, Oh, I will tell you. So only one time, did, you know, we used to go in the focus group, you go around the room and you introduce yourselves. And I was doing some work for an apparel brand in this one. And I I asked everybody to please stand up so we could also see what they were wearing. And this woman stood up and she said, you know, and I've completely changed my wardrobe because I got divorced and I'm the happiest divorced woman in America. And then the next woman stands up and says, well, I changed my hair. And so everybody went around the table and they were the happiest divorced women in America. And I said, you know, usually I don't participate in this, but I just want to say I'm the happiest divorced (laughs) woman in America. And so we decided we were the 10 happiest divorced women in America. This was a two and a half hour focus group, right? They were trying on clothes, different colors, fabrics, textures, lengths. And at the end of the uh, group, I went into the back and um, there were several very senior people in the back room, including some women. And they said to me, is that true? And I thought, is what true? Like we've been talking for two and a half hours. (laughs) So I said, is what true? And she said that divorced women are happy. So I share that story because you never know what you're going to find out when you talk to somebody, right? You go in maybe with a hypothesis or a theory, and you may come out with something very, very different. Mm-hmm. So in terms of listening, so it's sort of like I've turned off the all about Shelley, and it's all about who I'm talking to. And I'm completely focused on them. I'm focused on what they're saying, what they're doing, how they look, are they leaning back? Are they leaning forward? Do they look distressed? Have they started to cry? Are they scratching their head? And so, and it takes practice to put yourself down, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. And as far as my clients, it depends on who the client is. If they're new clients, I actually, I actually give them a script of what to listen for. And I suppose I don't do this with clients I've worked with for a long time, but I very often tell my clients and people, don't judge them based on how they look and that tattoo and their hair and that shirt. Just listen to them as human beings. And if you can get past what they look, they always tell you their story. They always connect with you on some human level very quickly. And so, yeah, put myself down and not judge them.
1: Yes. And I guess you were also saying to put that, you know, you have a listening guide, but the biases, you know, if you go in listening for your answer, I mean, this is like in any meeting or conversation dynamic. If you're just listening for the statements that confirm what you already believe and you miss the others, <laughs> then right? is that is that truly listening?
2: But, you know, most like most of the research we do these days is not to confirm what we already know it really is discovery and exploratory and what we don't know mm-hmm.
1: that's good that it's that kind of exploration and you know you're talking about also uh, setting aside some appearance things but what about that body language part of listening you know where they're saying one thing but their body is screaming another yeah. How do you help translate that for clients
2: That's interesting. I don't, I don't just focus on body language, right? Like it's the whole thing, but I'll just give you an example. I I put a, I think we were talking about the relationship people have with brands and I put a package of a brand on the table and everybody pulled back, right? Like they didn't have to say a word. And very often what I find is when I'm doing a group with people, and it's not only at four o'clock in the afternoon, but sometimes, and you can't tell this when you're in the back room. So I actually say it out loud so my clients can see it, but the energy level drops so low. Like, you know, I'm always ordering and, you know, a beverage or chocolate for them, but um, I almost feel like it's body language and energy. Like you ask a question and everybody's talking and then you ask another question and where'd you all go? That's an interesting question about how do I interpret body language for my clients? I only point out to them what I want to focus on and I'm not sure that they even saw what I saw. Although I have other clients who will run in from the back room and say, she hasn't said anything yet or she's she's on her phone. I mean, like there's so much going on when there are 10 people in the room, you don't notice all of that stuff. And so that's what clients tend to notice. Who's not who's not getting their money's worth, speaking? right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is legitimate.
1: Yes. Well, let's move to the part then where you take all these learnings and findings and translate this into a strategy that says we've put it into the top of the funnel. Now it's going through the insight interpretation machine. What's your approach to really dissecting all these learnings?
2: So the first thing I do, and I do it constantly, is I go back to what was the objective, what were we trying to find out, and really stay focused on that. And then what I do is um, I have video and I take notes, and I just start sorting like what everybody said, and then I keep track of where they were in the country and were they male or female and were they black or white or were they young or old. For the most part, there's there's a lot of consistency, which I absolutely love because it makes it a whole lot easier. If it's not a lot of consistency, then we have to start talking about different segments. And I help my clients at least qualitatively identify who they are before they go define and measure them. So first keep the objective in mind, then just sort of sort based on the questions. And then I develop the insight and the recommendations as I go. So it's a very iterative process. And then, you know, somebody else, I'll like, note, you know, person 37 said something, and that will remind me of something. And so I'm um, synthesizing, analyzing, summarizing, and recommending. It's, it's just sort of all happens at the same time.
1: Yes. And there's an age old, I'll call it by definition, you know, the difference between a finding and an insight. And I don't want to get too esoteric, but there is this look, there's a bullet point. We saw this 54% said this. Uh, but then there's an aha moment. Right. And again, how do you spotlight those ahas?
2: So I do my best thinking out loud, and I do my best thinking out loud with another person, not just myself. And so a lot of the ahas and the insight comes either I'm talking to, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, but sometimes it's my client. And when one person says it, it's so much easier for the other person to say, oh, so the insight is X. Mm-hmm. And um, some of my clients are absolutely fantastic at it. I use a, um, a psychologist that I work with. I use an intuitive. And w- so we just bounce things off of each other or they'll, say, or they'll say to me, okay, let me just repeat what you just said and I'll say it. And then it's like, oh, I heard it from them. Now I get the insight.
1: And I love what you were describing as discovery versus testing an idea. You know, and four out of five people liked concept A. You know, that kind of thing is that discovery when you're unveiling that we went to three cities, we spent all this time and money. This is what we've discovered.
2: So when we're doing concepts, you know, and if we talk to 30 people, our clients want some sort of metric, right? So, okay, fine. And then, you know, there's this, all this um, disclaimers about them, but I would say, generally speaking, if we show people something, whether it's a product, a concept, an ad, If everybody likes it, when you go quantifiably, you know, when you go quantify it, I don't know if it's 70% or 80%, but everybody likes it. If you show somebody something and they all hate it and they'll tell you why, which is very important that you understand the why behind why they hate it, you could go test it and it does very poorly. Then there's that you could show a group of people something and you're not really sure, like, do people like it or they don't like it? And then you go test it and you find the same thing. There's no clear answer but the value of the showing is not only do you like it or don't you like it but what resonates what are Mm -hmm. you excited about how do we make this better what should we throw out
1: so it's not just a like dislike
2: exactly so why did you say that or what does it remind oh and then when you find out what these things remind people of it's like oh my gosh so yeah it's all in the and it's you can start there and you know sometimes that is a good place to start how do you feel about it on a five point scale, where would you put it? Oh, good. So then we have a number for our clients and then we can understand why is it a three and not a four or a five? Mm-hmm. What would make it a 10? And people know, if you get I certainly do. if you get the right people in the room, they
1: know. Yeah, then they can tell you. Yeah. Well, Shelley, a, a lot of listeners, I'm sure, are because we have a creativity theme, there's an age old, I call it a conflict, but at least a disagreement on the value of market research that we should just be creative and unencumbered. And why do we have to test these things? And I've been on both sides of this argument, but I'm curious after all the years you've been doing this, how do you find market research to be a creative facilitating process rather than a judging eliminating process?
2: So before the pandemic, I did a lot of focus groups and I describe it this way. I'm at the table, my back is to the mirror And first I can feel like their heat, right? Their eyes on my back. So I know when things are going well or aren't going well. But one thing that's really important to me, you know, my mother always said I was a frustrated um, actor. But I try to make the f- groups fun because if it's not fun and we're not asking fun things and the people aren't saying fun things and they're not having fun and fun creates creativity, my clients have fallen asleep or they're on the phone. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is you have to create an, ex- an, an environment and a space where people feel open and comfortable and they know they're having fun. And if they say something that's crazy, we don't say, oh, that's crazy, right? I mean, it goes back to like all those ideation sessions that we all did when we were younger. But it's it comes back to no judging. And laughing is a wonderful thing. And I always say to people, if you're not sure whether or not to say something, say it. That's really where like the, the, (laughs) it's unbelievable what happens when somebody says something they didn't think they should say. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing is, You know, not every client is looking for creativity, some of them are looking for strategy, and they don't think that's creative at all. So you just sort of have to help them through the process of what, go back to the objective, what do we want to know, what would be a win, who do you have to satisfy, how big is the prize. Um, And then also set that space for fun. I mean, laughing is a wonderful thing. I have watched Grace and Frankie now, I think 12 times around all six (laughs) seasons, because no matter where I turn it on, it's funny. Oh, and it's just so great to laugh. And then I laugh and I look over there and I say, oh, I should fix that. Or, oh, I have an idea.
1: Because the blood's flowing, the blood's pumping, you got the ideas going.
2: And we're out of our heads.
1: Yes, yes. And, and that's what I was wondering about as a creative process, because many people, you know, they like to quote, and I don't even know if it's true, but it's in a biography that Steve Jobs never wanted to do market research that, you know, I'm going to invent things that people don't even know they need. How can you go to do market research? People can't articulate what they don't know. But I go back to the discovery process. What can we still learn?
2: I forget who it was. It was probably somebody at Nike who said, you know, market research is looking in the rearview mirror. And so I think qualitative research doesn't do that. We're not looking in the rearview mirror. We're looking at you right now. And what's your future? And it's what's my business's future? Cause I'm going to create something for you that you don't have, or didn't even know you wanted. And we do have to take what we hear with a grain of salt. I mean, if we show people something and they're afraid of it, of course, they're not going to like it. But the insight is they're afraid of it. So how do you get people over the fear? I'll give you an example. I don't know, 10 years ago, I can't remember when, when we were starting to do healthcare portals. No, 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 no. my information is going to be stolen. I'm afraid. No, 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 don't do it. I don't want it. Today, if you don't have it, they don't go to your they don't go to see you. Yes. Because the information is immediate. They get a test. Immediately, everybody who needed the information has it. So it's a matter of getting over the fear. And what would the benefit be that would get you over the fear? Mm-hmm. And that's that to me is not looking in the rearview mirror. The quantitative piece may be more looking in the rearview mirror, but even a lot of that is forward thinking now. Because who cares about the rearview mirror? Like, you know, it's gone already. Well,
1: and you mentioned that uh, a lot of your work has been in healthcare and personal care brands and and categories. Are people able to open up about their health, their wellness, their hygiene habits, and all the things that we think they wouldn't talk about in public?
2: Yes, and i think one it comes back to making people feel comfortable two it's asking a question that elicits their story and three it's not judging them so i just i just finished a healthcare project we spoke to 30 people and one of the things i asked them i said how's your health all right well 15 minutes later you get the the entire story are they embarrassed no they're not I mean, especially because they just told their doctor the same thing, right? And so they're feeling comfortable with the doctor to say it and hear it and not be judged is like part of their healthcare story. So they know it well, because I tell them, but I think the people that we interview know what it is we're trying to solve for, and they feel very happy um, I can't think of the word, but I'll use happy, that they've been included. I mean, with so many people thank us at the end, right, for being included, being able to share their story. They think maybe they're going to get something out of it. And it's not only just the money. I mean, this one woman thought that maybe she was going to get into a trial. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, people like to talk about themselves. Didn't Dale Carnegie say that? I You're believe a Fascinating I believe conversation. Did.
1: But you know, you've raised an interesting point because I asked you earlier about, you know, our own listening habits, but the respondents want to be heard. You've raised an interesting point that I'm coming to a group, not just because, you know, I might be offered a sandwich and a stipend and free parking, but I want to tell my story to someone and I want to be heard. And isn't it interesting that part of that healthcare journey is, you know, I never have time to talk at my doctor's office and no one's ever listened to me about what I really feel. And yet you've given them this forum.
2: Yes. And so I just recently finished a project on dishes and we interviewed this very elegant woman. And she said to me, thank you so much for inviting me because I'm invited to so many focus groups and I'm not interested in the topic, but dishes and entertaining and food that i'm all about this and she you know and she was also our last person of the project i would say nine and a half times out of ten like the last person just sort of like summarizes the whole project for us it's so fantastic and yeah so they not only do they want to be heard they believe they have something of value to share so this all comes down to doesn't it the human experience Mm -hmm. and market research is very much the human experience. And I think we qualitative people keep the human in the experience.
1: That's so good. So as we come out of you know, our hibernation and get back out there talking to more customers, where, where do you see the field going? And I guess I ask it in a creative, almost process sort of thing. How can we improve? Where do you see it improving, growing, becoming more engaging, and doing all the things that we know we could gain from market research, but do it better?
2: I think the closer we get to the subject matter, the better. So if I want to talk to somebody about running shoes, I think we should all be in our running shoes and running. And we can do that when we get back out. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. And I think the more the more stimulus of all of the senses that we give people, the better. And even when I talk to people about an experience, I say to them, what does it smell like? You know, it would be lovely if I was in their kitchen and they were making it for me too. But so those are two things I would say. One, be as close to the actual experience as you can be. With healthcare, it can be a little tricky maybe. And the other thing is involving as many senses as possible because it really awakens
1: us. And is there a, a technique, a modality, a forum that you've been hoping to try to use to convince a client that I, I really think that this would get us to an answer or discovery that we hadn't gotten with the current?
2: You know, it's very interesting because I have certain clients we only did in home and in store. And I had certain clients who only did focus groups. And I would say to them, why don't we go to their homes? So then we can see their closet. So, okay. And no, they didn't want to do that. So, okay. So like they brought half their closet with them and we'll show and tell those clients, those focus group clients who didn't want to be in home, they didn't know how to behave. They didn't want to be seen. They, they didn't know what their role was. Suddenly they they understand the value of seeing people in their environment and being able to ask questions. And, you know, people used to, they don't say it anymore, which is interesting, but people used to say to me, I can't believe you asked them that. And especially when it's healthcare, I say to people, I don't think I'm asking you anything personal, but if I do, you do not have to answer. Just tell me you're uncomfortable and we'll move on. And, but they answer.
1: Well, Shelly, what a great conversation. I've really enjoyed our virtual coffee together. Me too. I'm always going to take the call from now on. I can't believe this this will be the bumper sticker of how we got together.
2: (laughs) Take Uh, the call and let's have another call soon.
1: Let's do it. Well, folks, my guest has been Shelly Forrester. Market research, brand strategy, uh, customer insights, all the things that we need to get our creative work, as we've been saying, up and out into the world. You know, we've got an idea we can't just let it sit there. Well, let's take it out to the customer. Let them help us improve it. Right, Shelly? Right. Fantastic. Well, listeners, come back again for our next show, and we'll continue our conversation with creative artists on how to get more inspired and how to organize those ideas, and as I said, how to launch them out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. See you soon.
0: Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and The Peace ThePeaceRoom.love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of 5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud, the world's best creative app and services. So you can make almost anything you can imagine, wherever you're inspired. We use Adobe to help make this podcast, using Audition, Premiere Rush, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud, and let's make something better, unlocking your world of creativity.